This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and this is episode 101. And in tonight's show, EdTech Analytics, getting started with blended learning, education demands of Gen Z, five privacy considerations, and our featured segment is an interview with Larry Hedges, a prize-winning statistical analysis guru. So stick around for that. And Christy, you are back again. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Ricky. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's an exciting time. We just I just got back from Boston. I had such an inspiring and really great time interviewing two the two Edan Prize winners. It was our first ever press event for EdTech Weekly. So some pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. How'd it go? I mean, I had an awesome time. It was very inspirational. Uh, these two are two of the biggest, uh, most intelligent, best innovative minds in education right now. So it's hard not to be inspired just being in the same room. Okay, cool. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, and as if that wasn't enough, because that's going to be our featured segment tonight and uh, the interview with um, Larry, the first the first of the winners that we'll talk to. And next week we'll uh, also talk to um, Anant Argawal, and he's the CEO of edX. So that's going to be a lot of fun too. And if that wasn't enough, Matt is joining us again on the show his first time in quite some time. I know that has to be exciting for you, Christy. I know. It's great that he's um, back in and I can't wait to talk with him or hear what he has to say. Yeah, I think it's fitting just after hitting 100 episodes that, that Matt uh, reasserts himself and gets back with us. And what we're going to do with him is it's going to be a little hybrid for a while. But today he's going to join us for our last story. And um, it was pre-recorded, so we'll put that in the show but he's just going to kind of give us a little further extension from just less of an ed tech perspective and more of just a technology perspective, especially for security stories and uh, the internets, if you will, stories. Awesome. Sounds good. All right, Christy. Well, let's get to it as we always do, even though this is an exciting show and Matt's back and we have prize winning educators to interview with the ed tech news rundown. All right, our first story is an article from The Tech Advocate, and it explains how analytics should be used to inform the decisions we make about what ed tech products to use. Learning analytics is something that will continue to be a huge part of education as ed tech is contributing an almost unbelievable amount of data for education. This, of course, directly relates to the concept of personalized learning as the power of this data can best be used to help meet students where they are in the learning process and help get them where they need to go. The other side of this data equation is how accurate is the data we're getting and how do we know? Now, last week, like I said earlier, we got to sit down with briefly with one of the best data analytic minds in the world, quite honestly, the, one of the best in the world. And his name is Larry Hedges, as we talked about. He won the Edon Prize for Education Research. And again, we're going to interview him today, so that'll be exciting to do. But even some of the most scientifically correct studies can give data that's not so easy to interpret. And when it comes to understanding how relevant the data of 5 to 18-year-olds can be using a piece of software, well, you can imagine how messy that can be because emotions, motivation that greatly affect results can change on a day-to-day -day or even minute-to-minute -minute basis with some young people, as those of us who have taught anyone K through 12 probably can tell you. Um, so it, it kind of sounds easy that we could use data to help personal, make personalized learning. It's going to be better for students, but it's just not that simple. And they do, so you do need to be aware of those things and think about, you know, being very involved on a student-to-student -student basis because 
don't assume it's going to work just because, oh, somebody from one of these companies says that the personalized learning suite is going to be good for them. You also have to be very involved. So they do list a couple companies that are using it. So uh, feel free to check out those. One of them is Newzella. I know we've done at least one or two stories on them. Realize It and Newton, K-N-E-W-T-O-N. Um, yeah, and if data science is your jam, you should definitely look into Professor Larry Hedges' work. Um, he is literally the best of the best. So uh, stick around for that interview too. Yeah, that's pretty interesting about you know all the analytics out there. You know that information get down to teachers who are the ones who need it in the classrooms because um, that can be very complicated. But you know I do think that we we just can't meet the needs of our students in a personalized way without the use of technology and some of these tools. Yeah, and the the data analytics problem is it's it's ridiculous because even scientific studies that are done set up in a perfect way and all the scenarios are completely figured out and you have all the amount of test cases you need, sometimes that data is not even parsed correctly. So when you get all these other variables as we have right now in, in education and educational technology, it can get a little bit dicey for sure. Well, good thing we've got an expert, Professor Larry Hedges, to ask about that. Hmm? Yes. All right, our next story is from EdTech Magazine, and it gives lessons learned in doing a one-to-one -one Chromebook initiative and some ways to get started with blended, the blended learning approach. Raymond Steinmetz learned quickly that his expectations of the Chromebook didn't meet up with reality. He learned that there are still off-task and problem behaviors. So oh, surprising, right? Hmm. Even with having these devices. They're just different. Keeping them from randomly searching the internet and even teaching them how to explore the internet to help in their learning are skills that need to be developed and specifically taught. The word digital, digital natives is thrown around a lot, but it does they have been using devices all their lives that they know how to use them for educational purposes. So he has some suggestions to help improve the process of transitioning to this type of blended learning classroom. Here are a couple of the key ones. And Enter with the right attitude. Technology won't solve all your problems, and you should focus on using it as a tool to help with more immediate feedback, and it should help reduce the time spent on mundane tasks. The next one to totally agree with is to use Google Classroom, because in his eyes, it is simply the easiest way to enroll students and get information out to them. And the last one we'll mention is using a flex model which means the students are interacting with content while the teacher is facilitating. Definitely check out the link on edtechweeklyshow.com. Yeah, I knew you would be happy about the Google Classroom there. I know that you are a huge Google Classroom and a Google certified educator and all that stuff, so I'm, I knew it was going to be a good one for you. Um, you know, I never heard that model called the Flex model before. I've heard of people having students engage with content at in the classroom and just being more facilitator. But I, I do like that approach, and I think especially with AI and some of the computer technologies coming out, that that is going to be a style that uh, teachers are going to have to get on board with um, to make sure that they're making the most out of them and the most out of the technology. Um, I don't again. I don't know if, if flex model is my favorite term, but um, maybe we can get that changed somehow if it's not already ingrained. But I do love that concept for sure. Yeah, I definitely want to look a little more into that and um, yeah, dig into that term also. All right. Well, another EdTech Magazine story talks about how we can meet the educational demands of Generation Z. And right away, I really like this article because they they don't really start stereotyping a whole generation of kids. 
Um, uh, and rather, they sort of recognize some trends that we should be aware of, which I would like. I, I always hated when <laughs> people just say, oh, these people are going to act like this because they're from this era. And I, I just don't find that to be real, realistic. Um, I do like a couple of the ways they suggest students can prepare for this or teachers can prepare for this next generation of students. Um, the first is teaching digital natives to use technology responsibly and helping them understand how to judge the credibility of sources, how to use the tools businesses are using to create content for the job are two of the main ways to do that. And again, I think it goes back to our previous story that just because they're digital native doesn't mean that they know how to use it properly for education or even for business. So that's something that we need to pay attention to. And the second way is encouraging students to take initiative in their own learning. Now, their focus here is on using collaborative learning techniques so students don't spend so much time texting and being off task while they're searching other things online. But I would also suggest here that planting the seeds of students exploring further to satisfy their curiosity about the subject or related subjects or even unrelated subjects is really important. When I got the, when I got the opportunity to interview um, the CEO of edX last week, and that was awesome, and, and I actually started playing around with his platform, and there's a lot of really cool free stuff on edX, but there's also a lot of other free platforms that are really great places to direct your students. Um, I know especially in higher ed, there can be some hesitation about this because you view that as competition, but you know, I just don't believe learning should be a competition. It should be an open smorgasbord, if you will, of information, and uh, it'll eventually get that way. So get on board whether you like it or not. I mean, it's, it's just how it's going. And I think at the end of the day, as an educator, your number one goal, honestly, at the end of the day is to get students excited about learning. And so whether that's a part of your subject or somebody else's subject or some other related or unrelated field, I think giving them opportunities to explore for free, especially, is is just a key thing to do. Yeah, this is really interesting, Ricky, about how, you know, we have trained and conditioned students in school over time to actually not be curious and not go after their own learning. Uh, I've had some experience with this recently. I'm doing a genius hour project with a teacher in my school and going in for an hour. It's really interesting to see 10-year-olds hit a wall when it, the world is open to them through the internet. And it's just like, oh, I don't know. And it's, you know, how do we change that around to when they have time to explore things on their own, that they are willing and able to do that and know how to do that and think about their own questions without us spoon feeding it to them. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, I mean, for adults too, I mean, I find myself uh, in the same situation. If, if I'm excited about something and I'm really into it, I will go on and learn about it. I will, I've spent some time on edX and an HTML5 course trying to learn more so that I can do some things for the show and do some things for the website that I want to do. And because I'm interested in it, I find myself spending, spending my spare time there rather than just searching and Googling and watching YouTube videos that aren't really related to anything more than just my entertainment. So I think there's definitely a piece of that. And I think teaching and having the conversation with students about that in particular is important too, talking about how we use our time and how it can be so much more beneficial chasing after using your time to chase after things that you're really interested in and learning more to open up more worlds and more opportunities for you. Yeah, explore that curiosity, go with it and, you know, learn about it. There's so much kids can do these days and, you know, how do we help them get there? Yeah, and that conversation with students goes and extends beyond that as well. And in our next story, the one that I get to interview Matt, and I'm going to play that for you now, that's part of the theme too is having a conversation with our students about privacy and understanding that. So let's go ahead and play that segment now. 
All right, our next story is about privacy concerns and some tips that can help you out. So, of course, we bring in longtime friend of the show, beginning co-host and originator of the EdTech Weekly podcast, Matt. Matt, thanks for joining us for this particular story. Thanks for having me back. All right, well, what I'm going to do is just go ahead and give the basics of the story, and then I'd like to hear your perspective and any ways that you think we should take this a little bit further than the story does. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. All right, Absolutely. let's do it. All right, Ed Scoop gives us the five privacy tips you should be using before introducing any new ed tech in the classroom. Now, the first is to not sign up for an app without checking with your school or district first. Now, I know it's easy to have the philosophy of ask forgiveness instead of permission, but as security concerns become such a big issue, we need to make sure that we're diligent with that. Number two, don't assume that an app or a program is safe just because you saw it at a conference. Um, yeah, I don't think we need to go much further into that, but just because you're excited about something doesn't mean you should start using it right away. Again, go back to number one on that. Number three, understand the implication of click wrap agreements. We often in our personal lives just agree and move on, but make sure you're actually paying attention to these, especially when it comes to your students' privacy. The fourth is that you need to read the terms of service. If you don't have someone at your school or district level that does that, you're going to have to do it. I know it's daunting, but Getting fired for privacy law violation is also a problem and not protecting your students. So make sure that you take care of that. All right. And the fifth one is to make sure you educate yourself about student privacy. And the article gives us some links and I'll go ahead and make sure I put them on the show notes as well. But this is where we bring you in, Matt. You are the guru. You always are, always have been for the EdTech Weekly podcast. First of all, any immediate reactions just to those five tips? Uh, No, I think they're all pretty spot on. Um, the only thing I would actually add to that is just make sure that this could also be a teaching moment for um, your students to understand a little bit more about what you go through um, when you're sort of vetting a program. And it also can start a discussion is uh, for the students themselves that when they're looking at new apps that they can put on their phone or tablet, that they understand what those different permissions are. Um, one of the perfect uh, examples I think you and I wax poetica on before has been the flashlight app on Android and uh, other phones, where basically in order to turn the light on the back of your phone, they want to be able to see your contacts or how long that you're on a call for or what your GPS position is. Why do apps need things like that? Why do they need access? Um, So just having that discussion and understanding of what these different things are asking for and what it is doing to help those advertisers target you later. Yeah, I mean, we just recently did an article in a um, a featured segment about some personal security and password tips, and you know, one of the things that I'd said in that too is you should be having this discussion with your students. Like, there is no time like the present to start talking to them about security because even if it's not being used in the classroom, um, helping them protect themselves and be safe outside of the classroom is definitely an important thing that educators should be doing too. So I like the idea of engaging in that dialogue and that discussion. But let's talk a little bit, if you if you wouldn't mind, Matt, about just the basics of what can they do with this information that can make it so scary? Like, let's just say GPS, this flashlight wants your GPS. Who really cares if the flashlight knows my GPS? Why should we be more concerned about that? And what should we be telling our students to I don't want to say scare, but let them know the implications of something like that. Um, so uh, so let's just use the flashlight um, example. Uh, so if somebody has access to how long you're on a call for, um, your GPS positioning, or how many contacts you have in your phone, you basically fall into this uh, big algorithm that says that you have the characteristics of this person. So now it knows what GPS location you're at, how long you usually talk on the phone 
what can I use with GPS data? I can serve you ads based on where you are. Now, that can be uh, compiled into a whole, hundreds of other data sets that also have the exact same information. All of a sudden, you have a privacy breach or um, your personal information, your email address is, is breached. Now, someone has that information on you, how long that you spend in certain areas, how long are your calls normally. Um, a lot of uh, companies, what they'll do is they'll look at how long or to find out whether or not you're somebody who talks on the phone a lot or you just like to text a lot. And they can actually target ads to you based on that information. And from a more nefarious standpoint, they also know how to target you. Um, right now is the perfect example. Here in Florida, we get spam calls at least two or three times a day that have to do with a million different things. For pe someone like me who uses the phone a little bit more, I don't get texts that target me for things like that. But if you go onto Reddit right now and you look at people who are receiving texts, you know, pretending to be someone else that asks you to click on a link or something like that. These are all ways that people take this information and then target you. Yeah, and it's I think that's a good conversation starter and I think it's an important thing for teachers and students to be aware of that and even us in our personal lives. So Matt, as usual, it's awesome to have you on the show. I'm glad you're back and I can't wait for our next security slash internet-y type article that you can come in and give us your expertise on. Thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you soon. Glad to be back and thanks for having me. Yay. All right, so it was awesome to have Matt back on the show. Um, I know that I'm sure any of the longtime listeners out there are geeking out a little bit like I am just to hear Matt's voice back on the show. And there's some really great info in that article. And, um, you know, the, the website is actually up and running and up to date. I know I've mentioned that a few times, Christy, and it just doesn't happen. Um, sometimes my fault, sometimes... Um, I don't know. Let's blame it on the hackers. But at the end of the day, it's up to date now. And um, so you should definitely check out the links to that story and get more information. I feel like the band is back together with this episode, Ricky. And with last week with having Meredith on the show, that's awesome. I know. I'm get, I get the uh, – It's. it seems odd, but I'm, I feel like this nostalgia. <laughs> it doesn't feel like I've been around long enough to feel that way. But I, I got some nostalgic feelings definitely talking to Meredith and Matt. Nice. All right. Well, if you're interested in any of the articles from the show, like I said, edtechweeklyshow.com. Check it out. Get those links. You can email the show, edtechweekly at gmail.com. And we have someone else who's going to be involved in the show, Christy, David Cantler, who's been emailing and, and being involved on social media some as well over the past year or so. He wants to get involved and help out. And uh, currently, I'm in an email chain back and forth with him. And I actually have a new email in my inbox at the moment to help um, him help get involved with the show. And he deals specifically with elementary schools. So uh, there's some, some opportunities there for us to learn more about good ed tech practices with elementary schools. So I'm excited about that. Cool. I look forward to talking with him. Yep. And hit up that subreddit, edtechweekly.reddit.com, just if for no other reason than to make Matt mad if you know that he doesn't like to say it that way from back in the day. And then on Twitter, at 4TechTeachers or at Christy M. Moore and follow us there too. All right, so let's get on with our featured segment. And I did want to, you know, again, this was a pre-recorded thing when I was in Boston last week, but I wanted to give you just a little backstory on it. So this is an interview with Larry Hedges about his Edan Prize Award. Um, again, he won it for the research side of things. And um, it's a, it kind of gets into his view of analytics with ed tech. So there's going to be a cool link that he tells us about, and I'll put that in the show as well, in the show notes on EdTech Weekly. Now let's get into more of what who Larry is. So Larry Hedges is a researcher in statistical methods for meta-analysis 
and evaluation of education policy. And sort of what that means is he's a lot smarter than most of us. (laughs) Can we say that? Yes, I would say that's probably accurate. For sure. You're not going to you're not going to protest. You're not going to say that possibly you are smarter than this guy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, no, I, I will say that I have listened to the show or your recording already and it 100 percent smarter than us. He's a smart guy and he's got a lot of great information and uh, me trying to get it out of him and put it in context of the show. I probably can do a better job, but it's it's a good start for me and I'm excited about that. So uh, let's go ahead and listen to the interview. All right. Well, first of all, Larry, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you on EdTech Weekly. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. I, you know, I'd like to go back to the moment that you found out that you received the Union Prize. Uh, this is we're talking about life changing. This is a lot of money, and there's a lot of great things that come of it. So, can you take me back to that moment of when you found out and what it felt like? Oh yeah, it's very easy for me to remember because. Uh, I knew I had been nominated by the, uh, for the prize. The president of my university uh, told me he was doing that. And uh, of course, that was several months before, well, it was probably six or eight months before I actually was informed that I'd won. And I'd kind of forgotten about it. I, I, I sort of vaguely had the idea that sometime in September they were going to make a decision. But I'd kind of thought, well, it's, you know, there are reasons why I could imagine I wouldn't be the best candidate in the world for this. And I went about my life. And as a matter of fact, when I found out about it, I was at a board meeting of a research clearinghouse uh, in Boulder, Colorado, called Blueprints for Healthy Youth Development. And um, it was relatively early in the morning. I was in the morning meeting with my colleagues. And the phone in my briefcase rang. And my first thought was, oh, I forgot to silence the phone, damn it, where is it? (laughs) And was digging through the briefcase for it uh, and was about to turn it off when I noticed the the phone call was from Hong Kong. And I thought, I better take this and uh, walked out into the hallway. And uh, uh, Brian Young uh, from the Yidan Foundation uh, said uh, who he was and said that I had won the prize. And it was... uh, Pretty exciting. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, that's 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 really good stuff. And when when you think about the Yidden or Yidan Prize in context, globally, and to just thinking about, we have two previous laureates, I believe, and then we're going to be continuing to add to it. Have you been able to wrap your mind around what the future looks like as we add more and more laureates, and hopefully you guys collaborate on these projects and and really just look to help solve the education problem worldwide? I'm not sure I have because it's still it's still too new and and uh, frankly too exciting and and so too daunting to imagine. But what I hope for is that the Yidan Prize will begin to create a kind of awareness and prestige of education and systematic evidence and learning in education that uh, is present in some of the sciences. I mean, people have talked about the Nobel Prizes as in some way galvanizing a sense that the, the sciences were really important. Uh, I hope that the Don Prize will help galvanize some attention for education and the recognition that education and learning how to do it better, getting systematic evidence about what works in education will be uh, thought of as more important and as an enduring legacy of this prize. Yeah, I mean, with that kind of 
investment into it. And I really, I really like to see that, like you mentioned, the Nobel Prize. It'd be really great if people think of this Edom Prize as something that is to that level of achievement. And I think it should be, obviously. I, I like education a lot. Now, you're into statistical analysis and, and, and all of these things with your studies. And one of the biggest issues in ed tech, honestly, is that there just isn't enough information out there for people to make informed decisions about what products to use, what applications actually work. And sometimes people don't get data at all. And if they do, it's data from the people trying to sell them the ed tech. Is there, I mean, listen, uh, this is a tough thing to put you on the spot, but are there any tips or, or pieces of advice you could give someone as they go into purchase or look at purchasing ed tech? Are there, are there ways that they can look at this without any statistical analysis and, and see are there ways that they could somehow glean some sort of idea of what products they could use? Well, first thing I would, I would offer is um, try and see if there's any any information, any evidence that comes from somebody other than the developer. And I say that not because I think developers are evil or purposely are trying to mislead people. I'm pretty sure that most people who develop something believe it works and, and believe it's a good thing. But they have all the incentives um, to see it as, as more positive than it is. There's, a, there's an idea in psychology called confirmation bias. And the idea there is that if I tell you something's true, uh, you as a, as a human being, and this is a universal human trait, will be very good at explaining all the reasons why that thing I just told you was true is in fact true. And you will discount the reasons why it might not be true. I think developers, um, even the ones that are trying to be the most even-handed, are, are subject to this. So what other kinds of information might there be? Well, um, sometimes there isn't much. Uh, but I will make a point of, of uh, announcing to your readers, if they don't, or your listeners, I guess, if they don't know, uh, is that there are beginning to be research clearinghouses, which are an interesting source of information that is uh, nonpartisan in the sense of, of not coming directly from developers, and uh, sometimes can be useful. In education, there's something called the What Works Clearinghouse. It's, uh, it's on the web. Uh, you can just uh, Google What Works Clearinghouse. Uh, it's uh, an organization that's been supported by the U.S. Institute of Education Sciences for the last about 15 years. And its goal is to, is to collect information about education interventions, products, and services, and to collect the studies of those innovation, those, those products, uh, and, and then um, try and determine which, which studies are valid enough to be worth paying attention to, and uh, they they make the, the the procedures they use to make that determination available on, on the site, so you can so it's pretty transparent what they mean by uh, meet standards, uh, which is their jargon for good enough to pay attention to, mm -hmm. uh, and then they provide um, you know s summaries of the studies and an intervention report that says collectively what the evidence seems to mean about the effectiveness of that product. Now, there are many more products than, than uh, and especially, high t especially tech products, than exist uh, on the What Works Clearinghouse, but there are some on the What Works Clearinghouse. 
and there'll be more in the future because this is an organ this is uh, an effort that I think is going to continue to be funded for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think too when you look at edtech, it's it's tools to achieve something. So there may be some related things in there that would help them inform those decisions, even if that product itself may not be something that has been looked at too deeply. Um, I wanted to go to one of the comments you made that I thought was was really interesting. Small, reliable improvements are better than chasing the magic bullet. Now. In education, in ed tech especially, there's buzzwords, there's chasing these fads that, you know, like you had talked about before, there's just so many of them, VR and AR, now these new things that everyone thinks is gonna solve education, virtual reality and augmented reality. You know, when you look at the context of ed tech from a whole, from, from a, a bigger picture, are we, should we be looking at the things that we can be guaranteed are gonna do just a little bit rather than trying to go to that person telling you this is going to make everyone be able to read at a college level in two months. I mean, it's... I'm, <laughs> I'm actually suspicious of people marketing uh, ideas or practices that are going to produce unbelievable results. They, they usually are unbelievable. And I, I say this just on, not because there may not be such products out there, uh, just but just with experience suggesting to me that virtually none of the products I've seen ever accomplish that promise. And small incremental changes uh, can, be, uh, can be important and they add up. Uh, and uh, they're also often more reliable than the, the, the magic bullets or the panaceas that were sometimes sold. And, I, and again, I'll say that many of the people who I think are marketing these products are doing so in good faith. They really believe what they're saying but that doesn't make it true. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we appreciate your time here on the show. And I just wanted to finish off by saying, you know, thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, I have a five-year-old son, and I have no doubt that the Edon Prize winners and yourself and um, Anant are going to be creating a world that's going to be even better for him for education. Um, so I'm excited about the future that holds for prize winners like yourself and laureates to get together to really help change and solve this issue. So thank you so much, and appreciate you being on the show. Well, thank you. That's our goal, to make the world better for all of us. All right, well, that about does it for the show tonight. Um, super excited to have Matt back on. Glad that Christy's with us. And I think we're in about weeks, I think maybe five of six weeks in a row now. I know we missed a week in the middle, but five of six weeks isn't so bad. What do you think, Christy? Should we give ourselves a hey, little bit? Hey, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah that's not too bad. Episode 101. Yeah, and it's a big episode. Our first ever press event. We interviewed some high, some big hitters in education. The prize awards, and I don't think I mentioned that, that these guys received is in the multi-millions. It's about $4 million that they got. You interviewed multi-millionaires. Literally, because they get like a $1.7 million cash prize as well, besides what goes towards their research. Wow. Yeah, maybe I should have talked that's to them longer and been better friends. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's it for the show. Again, if you want to reach out to the show, edtechweekly at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at Fortech Teachers or at Christy M. Warren. And don't miss next week because we interview Anant Argawal, the CEO of edX, and it's an online learning platform. And he is um, an engaging and a, and a great guy. So Definitely stick around for next week, and uh, we will see you next time on EdTech Weekly. Mm -hmm.